This is God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May they, may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever and ever. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we ask now, O Lord, that you would speak for your servants are listening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps if you've been with us the last several weeks, and we've obviously been in the Psalms for quite some time, but the last few Psalms, if you heard some kind of similarity as you were listening, that sounds familiar. That idea of waiting, of deliverance, where have I heard that before? One might argue that this is perhaps a a summary of what has taken place in Psalm 38 and 39, perhaps even an answer to what we talked about in Psalm 37. David, he's been surrounded by enemies, by sin, and he's looking for deliverance. That's what he asks for. God, be merciful to me. Deliver me. 
Maybe you know something of what David is saying. He begins by saying, I waited patiently, O Lord. Maybe that's your thoughts this night. God, I've, I've waited. I've brought my circumstance to you. I've brought my problem, my challenge, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed. Lord, are you listening? Are you hearing me? Some of you know that well. Many of us, however, would say, what we mean when we say we've waited patiently is, well, we put our ATM card in and it didn't answer as soon as we asked for it. We ask one time, Lord, answer, and we receive nothing, and then we cry as David, I've waited so patiently. That's not what David is saying at all, is it? In fact, one translation, I quite appreciate it, the way that they describe verse 1, where it says, I waited patiently. Do you know what it says? I've waited and waited and waited. That's what David is saying, isn't he? I've had some problems. Sin, we don't actually know what the issue is. He's been in trouble. Maybe it is his sin. Maybe he's surrounded by enemies who are preparing to overtake him now. Maybe he's physically sick. Or perhaps it's a combination of all of it. Maybe there's internal, maybe there's external, or maybe it's both. But David is saying, my life is on the line and I'm waiting, O Lord. Deliver me. Draw near and come and help me. It's a profound truth for us, isn't it? Because it's so instructional. Because what David has been saying from Psalm 37, over and over and over again, almost as though he's at the climax. He's on the mountaintop. And he's saying, I've waited again. I've waited for you. Oh God, as, as though there's nothing else I can run to. I'm in trouble and where am I to turn? But to you, O oh Lord, who else could help me? Who else would I go to for deliverance? And so I think what we see with David is he is waiting in faith. And he offers to us some quite clear instructions and principles. How are you and I to wait in faith? We'll look at a few of them this evening. My family, we've recently done this. Uh, by recent, I think we began it when we arrived here in Smyrna. We have a family book of sayings, not as though they're really deep theological sayings. Actually, none of them are. Um, really, what it comes down to is our children say things, and we go, we need to be able to remember those later in life, because that's going to help them understand what it was like to parent them. Um, on one occasion, one of our children was asking for something. And I said, no. And they obviously were not in agreement with my no. And so they were letting me know that, well, I'm not doing what I said I would do. And I said, I don't think you remember. To which my child responded, you have a terrible rememory. And I thought, what, what, please help me understand. And just a few moments later, we, we brought some light to that situation 
And uh, the same child, in fact, what I appreciated, he goes, Dad, my, my brain, it's like a lost and found. I lose things and then eventually I find it, which I thought was very accurate. That's a little bit what David is doing here in these first three verses. There's a little bit of a lost and found time. I'm in trouble. I have a terrible remembery. I need to remember, God, what have you done? What has been my experience up to now with the Lord? And he's recalling something of God's great deliverance in his past. One of the principles of what it means to wait in faith is to wait by remembering. Who is God and what is he actually like? Your life can testify to those things. Recall what he has done. And so David is saying, I'm, I was in a terrible situation. My life was on the line. We don't know what it was. We don't know what it is. But it's darkness. It's heavy. In fact, actually in verse 12, he goes as far as to say, I cannot even see. I'm losing my life. My heart is failing me. That's where I've been. And yet there's something there. It's hard. It's scary. It's a place of despair, often. It's lonely. Perhaps you've received many of threats. And David is saying, yes, I was, I remember I was in that pit, that pit of destruction. And so he's over and over going to the Lord in prayer. And almost as though David understands it, out of nowhere, God delivers him. God shows up and does something in the life of David. And I think that there is something quite profound there for you and for me. What David is doing in remembering the work of God or recalling to mind later is that God is truly sovereign. He is, in fact, in control. And isn't that what you and I learn as we remember our past? When we consider the circumstances that we have found ourselves in, not knowing how we will make it till tomorrow, and yet it comes, and then the next day, and then the next day, And all of a sudden, you're wondering, how has this turned out? And David is saying, it's because God, in fact, is in charge. He is sovereign and he is good. You and I are, well, we are sinners. And we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we experience hardship because of our sin. Sometimes we experience hardship Because we live in a state of a fallen world and there are hard things going around in life. And that's exactly what David is saying here. Part of what it means to remember or waiting in faith is to understand what faith is doing. Faith is recognizing that it's not about trying to rid your life of troubles. In fact, actually what David might be saying is trouble is a part of the normal Christian life. Faith isn't trying to rid it, it's trying to work in the midst of it. And so David is saying, I've waited. 
I've waited and I've waited. God is my help and my deliverer. And do you know what's beautiful about that? What's beautiful about us not knowing exactly what David is saying is you and I can't read Psalm 40 and go, you see, David, you don't understand my life. You see, if David would have told us I had to wait and it was because I was experiencing this particular sin or this particular difficulty, we could have said to David, oh, well, that was what you should do if that is what is going on in your life. But when he doesn't tell you what's going on, we are to then look at the scriptures and say, what is the high principle? We trust in the Lord. We remember what God has done. We understand that God truly is a deliverer. And so David is saying to us, what did God do for me? He took me out of this miry bog and he put my feet on a strong rock. What was uncertain in my life became certain. And no, I don't think David is saying I had a shaky and uncertain circumstance and now I have a certain circumstance. No, I think he's saying my circumstances were in in fact very uncertain, but God showed me who he is, who is always certain. The image of a rock. What does Jesus say? Build your life on the rock. What is David suggesting to us? When God delivers us, it's not so much that he gives you a certain circumstance. What he gives you is a certain truth. I'm good. I'm God. I'm sovereign. You can remember that. And do you see where it leads David? It leads him to song. Now, why do I have to keep preaching about song? Because I'm terrible at singing. But isn't it a powerful truth That David is saying, when you understand who God is and what God does, you must be a singing Christian. You cannot be a silent person. And he demonstrates the beauty of song, doesn't he? The song that comes into your heart and proceeds from your mouth isn't just meant to draw your affections. What does he say? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. Do you sing so the rest can hear and see the Lord? What God is doing in your life, sing it out, he says. Many will see and fear Oh, I hope I sing that way. I hope I live that way. I hope you live that way. There is no such thing. I've said it before. Dr. Ferguson is the one who brought it to my attention. There's no whisper of song in heaven. There's only shouts of praise. That's what we are meant to do. When we remember the work of our God, we don't sing with a somber face in a soft voice, we sing it loud because we remember what he's done. How else do we understand waiting in faith? We don't just wait by remembering, we wait by trusting. David says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. David waits in faith and he does so by what? He says, I trust in the Lord. A simple statement And yet a very foundational one. 
And what is he suggesting? David waits because faith, David's faith ultimately understands, I'm not the one in control. I'm not in charge. God is in charge. Therefore, he is my master and I trust him because of it. You know, in our house, we've had to develop a new phrase. Maybe you have something similar. When our children want something, they know that they need to ask for it. And normally, you know, we would like him to just go once, Daddy, can I have something? It never works that way. Mama, 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 mama. It doesn't matter how long you ignore it. It's just going to continue and continue. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm the worst at it because I normally say what? Give me a minute. I have a very literal child who puts a stopwatch on and counts me out. And so we've had to say, wait a patient minute. And then they say, what does that mean? It means whatever patience I have. When I show up, that's the patient minute. But we've had to suggest, wait a patient minute. Why? Because I'm the one in control at that moment. I'm the one in charge. You need to wait and trust me, I'm coming. And David is saying, I put my trust in the Lord. And how can he do so? Because he is counting his blessings, as it were. Over and over and over again, he's counting the work of God in his life. He's seeing what God has done. It's part of remembering and part of acknowledging this is who God truly is all the time. He puts his trust in the Lord. He recognizes God is in charge. And what a great blessing when we begin to count our blessings, isn't it? God has done this for me. He's done that for me. He continues to do this for me. Do you see what's happening with David is he's now shifting in this psalm. He's been talking to you and to me and to others. And what happens? When he begins to let it sink in, he turns his attention to the Lord. Verse five, he's no longer talking about God. He's talking to him. As I remember who God is and what he's done, it leads me into this praise of the Lord. How wondrous are your deeds. You've multiplied them, your deeds and your thoughts towards us. It's as though words are escaping his mouth. He, he cannot articulate exactly what God has done, and so he's using general categories. How wondrous are those deeds? How would I count them? How would I understand them? And then he says something that has been so comforting to me. Look at what he says in verse five. You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. God thinks of you. Do not discredit what David is saying here. God thinks of you. He thinks about you. If you're married, you would think that your spouse thinks about you. If you have children, you think about them. If you're dating, you're thinking about them. But nobody thinks about you more than God. How wondrous are your deeds and your thoughts towards me. The fact that God, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, and omnipresent gives his thought to you, to me. What a profound reality. That is the God that David is calling on. You've multiplied these wonderful things. 
He sees all that you do. He knows all that you desire. He knows all that you think. And how does it work? Works because God gives you something that nobody else does. His undivided attention. God thinks of you in an undivided way. I can't even do that for my own spouse and children. There is no sign-up genius for God. He's never saying, Danny, I need you to let me finish something. I'll be there in a minute. He gives you his undivided attention and he does it for every one of his children at all times and at all places. He is always giving thought to you, the one who rules and reigns and who has created you, keeps space in his thoughts for you. How do we wait in faith? We, we remember what God has done and we, we wait by trusting him. We can trust this God. And he is learning to trust him because he's counting the blessings. God has done this. He said that, and he's done this. He said that, and he's done this. And over, and over, and over. And so God, David says, you can trust him. And there's blessing for those who do. How do we wait in faith? We remember who God is and what he is like, and we trust him. But there are other principles that I think David is bringing out. We also wait by obeying. Now, that might sound a little bit unique. How do we wait in faith? Part of our waiting in faith is obedience. We wait in an active manner. We trust in him by doing what he says. Did you see what David was saying in verses 6 through 8? In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. It's as though David is considering this question. God, what are you teaching me? What am I to learn from what has been going on and what will go on? What has happened? How are you instructing me? And if you heard those verses and you thought, those verses sound mildly familiar, and they should, because David is quoting from something he most likely already understood from 1 Samuel 15. What's going on in 1 Samuel 15? It's that story when Samuel tells Saul, I want you to wait on me, but God has given you a mission. I want you to destroy Amalek. That is a city and a people. I want you to put people in possession, all of it, to destruction. And Saul says, okay. And he goes out, and what does Saul do? He puts the city to destruction. He saves the king, and he saves the greatest of the calves, the lambs, the oxen, the sheep, and all that was good. And so God tells Samuel, Saul has disobeyed. I'm angry with them is, in fact, what God tells Samuel. And then you can read of Samuel's response. He cries throughout the night. And in the morning, he heads to where Saul is. What has Saul done up to this point? Actually, he built an altar to himself, a statute 
And Samuel finds him. And Saul says to Samuel, Blessed be to you, or blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That was Saul's response. To which Samuel responds, Well, then why do I hear the bleating of sheep in my ear? And Saul says, Well, the people, they spared the best because we wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. But we devoted everything else to destruction. We destroyed everything else. So Samuel says to Saul, Why did you not obey? Why did you not do what God told you to do? And Saul says something I find quite interesting. He says, I did. I brought Agag, who is the king, but the people spared the possessions. You see, he's not only blame shifting, he hasn't even gotten the point. Perhaps the people really did spare the possessions. Number one, Saul's the leader, and that was on him. Number two, Saul was told to destroy the king. He hasn't gotten it yet. He still hasn't obeyed. And that is when Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. What is Samuel in a summary statement saying to Saul? God wants you. He wants your obedience. He wants all of you. And David is picking up the same language. What is God doing in my life? What has he been doing? What can I presume he will do? God wants all of me. He wants my heart. He wants my desires. He wants my pleasures. He wants my holiness. He wants me. He wants all of me. And David says, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. You can hide God's word in your heart. That's what Psalm 119 says. Is David perhaps describing a passage in Deuteronomy 17, which tells the king, this is what you are to do. This is what the book says of you. He says, it's in the book. Are you asking that question this night? What does God want of you? Friends, it's in the book. It's written in the book. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. Open your Bible. Read it. Meditate on it. Study it. Memorize it. Pray it. Do whatever you can. Jeremiah says, I ate your word, and in it it became my delight. God wants all of you. He wants every bit of you. David seems to be saying, I learned where Saul messed up. My obedience is a sign. It's a demonstration of worship. When I obey, it's a demonstration of worship because I'm waiting in faith on the Lord, it means it's more important than any external act you can do. You come to church, there are no tallies for your church attendance in heaven. 
It matters not how many times you came to church. It does matter what you did while you were here. He wants your heart. It's one of my favorite things about evening worship. Nobody's here because they're hoping for more brownie points. You might want a cookie afterwards, but other than that, you're not here because you want brownie points. You want to worship. You want to know him. And it's written in the book. He waits by remembering. He waits by trusting. He waits by obeying. And then he waits by praising. He waits by praising the Lord. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. It's incredible. It's as almost as though he's contradicting himself from Psalm 39. When in Psalm 39, he says, I've restrained my lips. I've I put a muzzle over my mouth. I'm not going to speak. What is he saying here? This is an unrestrained moment. But what is he saying in his unrestrained moments? He's proclaiming the glory of God, the great deliverance. Have you experienced that before where you go, you just got to hear about this. You're not going to believe what God has done. Have you found the work of God in your life pushes you to proclaim to other people, let me tell you who he is and what he in fact is like. I must tell others. I cannot hide it. Sounds like everything's going pretty well for him, doesn't it? But I think David is outlining something because he's gonna continue in the psalm. Where does this faith that David had, where does it lead? Well, it certainly doesn't lead to a false sense of circumstance because he's going to get to a place in verse 12 and he's gonna recognize I'm in sin. I have sinned against you. I so appreciate David here. We're on Psalm four in a row in which David has confessed sin each and every time. It's a normal practice of his life. God, you are good, and I am not. I am a sinner. He recognizes trouble is going to return. Enemies perhaps are coming. Faith doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean it will be simple. It doesn't deny the fact that hard things happen. And yet David finds himself reminding, promise, God preserves. You will not withhold your steadfast love from me. I am yours. You love me. You care for me. You think of me. Your deeds are wondrous to me. And so he can wait and wait and wait. Because what David seems to be recognizing is my life has been full of deliverance. And bigger than that, there is a grand deliverance in which will come in eternity. Yes, there are moments that we need to be reminded of what God does in and through our everyday life. But there is a greater deliverance that is to come. From death to life, God snatches you out and brings you into his own kingdom. And David seems to be saying, that's where his faith lies. Not just because this enemy might not win or this illness might not overtake me or this sin might not crumble me. 
But eternally speaking, I am the Lord's. And he will, in fact, preserve me. How do you know that? Because these verses show up somewhere else in a very powerful place. When you read verses 6 through 8, they're quoted directly in the book of Hebrews. They're quoted in Hebrews because God is answering the question. What, in fact, does he really desire? What is the point of sacrifices? What's the point of offering? It's to be the firstborn. If you know your Old Testament, Moses in Exodus chapter 13, as the people of God are coming out of Egypt, he is reminding them, we need the firstborn animal. It needs to be a year young. It needs to be without blemish. But this firstborn is meant to be a picture of God's great deliverance. And what is the author in Hebrews saying? Yes, it is to be the firstborn, not of animals, not of men, but of God himself. The firstborn, the one true son of God will give of his life to cover your sin. That's the sacrifice and that is the offering, the atoning work of Christ that once for all will cover your sin, your transgression. And so David can say with great confidence, I'm not going to hide my sin. I have no reason to. It's been covered. Not only am I not going to hide my sin, I'm also not going to hide my deliverance. Because my sin is covered and my deliverance is granted, I'm going to tell them all. And so over and over, he's telling the great congregation, let me tell you who God is like. He forgives sin and he takes you out of the pit and he puts you on a rock and he makes your steps secure. And if you're wondering this night, how do you praise him? He tells you, you say it over and over until you mean it. Great is the Lord. You keep saying it until it is sunk deep in your soul to understand this is what faith really means. You trust not in your work. You trust in Christ. Now, what does that mean for you tomorrow? There's an incredible picture that David begins with. I want to draw your attention to it. In verse one, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. The Hebrew there, for when he says he inclined to me, it's meant to provide a word picture means that God knelt down. He got right down on your level. Parents, you know that, don't you? Your child hurts themselves. And what do you do? You, you run in and you, you get down on their eye level. And you say, it's okay. Mama's here. Daddy's here. What is David saying about God? He didn't look down from heaven and speak to you. He came down got right on your eye level. And he said, I hear you. I hear your cry. And daddy's here. And you can call him Abba Father. That's the God in which you pray to. What does it mean for you tomorrow? You can say, no matter what your circumstance, I'm waiting patiently. And my God kneels down. He gets right at my eye level. And says, 
Daddy's here. I hear you. I know your cry. So cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. What else does David say? God wants all of you. He wants every little bit of you. Even the part in which you just said, I'm not sure. Yep, he wants that too. He wants all of you. You know, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, the Old Testament, where you saw the picture of, he says he's given me an open ear. The Greek translation there is a body he has prepared. That's the translation you'll read in Hebrews. It's why we come into worship. We want a Christ-centered worship. We wait in faith by worshiping, by recognizing this life isn't about me. It's not about my desires. It's about the Lord. And so I bring my desires to the Lord. You see, faith, faith in fact is powerless. Faith does nothing for you. But the object of your faith does a great deal. It's why you can have little faith. But if the object of your faith is strong, you can see great things happen. You don't need to be one who says, I'm just a man full of great faith. You can be struggling in faith, crawling into this place in faith, and know that the object, that is God himself, can do anything. There is nothing, in fact, too hard for him. You see, it's not an issue of faith, of will you have faith. It's what you put it in. You're going to put your faith in man. You're going to put your faith in your work. You're going to put your faith in your efforts. You're going to put your faith in your successes. You're going to put your faith in your dreams. Or are you going to put your faith in the God who knelt down from heaven and gave his life that you and I might say, great is the Lord. Let's pray to that end. Our God and our Father, we want to believe Help our unbelief. We often look out and what we see and what we feel speak louder than what we know to be true. And so we take great comfort that you have given to us your revealed word, providing a firm foundation for us to stand on, that we can know who you are and what you're like we can look back into our life and see how you have worked and we have your precious promises and because of Christ, they are yes and amen. And so I do pray for us, especially for those who know very clear what David is saying, that I've waited and I've waited and I've waited. Help us, O oh Lord, to wait in faith by remembering by trusting, by obeying, by praising that what might be said to us is our faith is in Christ alone and we would give to you 
our full and unrestrained worship. And all for Jesus' sake we pray it. Amen.